Welcome back to the Bridge Church History Podcast. It has been a wee while and Jean-Marc at the end of the last episode said that, well teased, I'm going to say you teased, that it would be William Wilberforce. Is that true? Is that who it's about? No, I don't think I ever tease, but it is indeed David about William Wilberforce. Um, you're in a very special list there of people who call me David my mum, my nanny and Kay so fair play uh, could you could you tell us a wee bit about uh, William Wilberforce for us please well he was born in 1759 same year as the Prime Minister William Pitt the Younger who was a great friend <laughs> shock, shock that you've got Pitt in there got Pitt in, I'm going to get him a lot in there um, he was a son of Robert Wilberforce who was a Baltic merchant uh, Kingston upon Hull was where they lived in Yorkshire, so that was the place. And his wife Elizabeth, he's probably the most famous Christian politician of probably all time, I think, uh, in Britain. He represented Yorkshire from 1784 to 1812, and they nicknamed him the Shrimp because he was rather short. Uh, he was an independent member of Parliament and a friend, of course, of William Pitt, and the acknowledged leader of the Evangelical Group in Parliament. That were nicknamed the Saints. He was extremely prominent in the struggle to abolish slave trade and then the abolition of slavery in the British Empire in 1833. Very good. I'm just going to swap mics with you because mine seems to be a lot louder as Darcy stares at me. Uh, I hope this is better. This one, I think that one is better. So I think, I think almost everyone would know that Wilberforce was prominent in the abolition of slavery in the British Empire. Could you tell us a wee bit more about what that meant or how significant he was in that area? Um, he was very significant in uh, the abolition of slave trade. He was uh, the, the face and the spokesman in the House of Commons. Um, and it was used against him, oddly enough, by various people. Uh, Cobbett, who wrote uh, parliamentary history and recorded debates, and William Hazlitt, criticised him and said he was a hypocrite because he was only interested in slavery and not interested in the social conditions in Britain. <laughs> that's so interesting. Uh, but, well, that's, that just tells you, doesn't it? Like People are always going to attack you about something, aren't they? Yes. Keep going. Yeah. Well, the, the, these uh, criticisms were obviously not true or helpful because he was uh, against... Uh, sadness and distress and poverty in every area if he saw a problem then he'd, he'd go to try and re remove it if you were royal he'd, he'd speak against it he spoke against the prince of wales because of his obsession with spending money and adultery he took the side of his wife the prince of wales's wife in a royal divorce Wow. He took the side against the Duke of York in a scandal where he was supposed to be selling uh, military honours for cash he even stood against his friend, William Pitt the Younger. No. When, when Pitt had a duel with George Tierney, uh, Wilberforce wanted to bring in a bill to ban duelling. And Pitt basically wrote to him saying, look, if you bring this bill in, it's, it's asking for my resignation. So Wilberforce <laughs> withdrew the bill. But he didn't uh, withdraw his opposition when Lord Melville, who was First Lord of the Admiralty, was charged with... Um, selling things and being financially dodgy. He stood against him and his vote was crucial in defeating him, which sort of damaged Pitt's ministry massively. Mm. He also then helped with social conditions and problems 
children in factories, bettering the society for poor people, limiting the hours of children working in cotton mills. Mm. Uh, he supported Robert Peel Sr. in trying to improve conditions of apprenticeships, stopping night work for children. Uh, so homework is probably banned. Yeah. If Wilberforce had his way. Hooray, <laughs> Wilberforce. Yeah. Uh, he, he also uh, supported prison reform, the abolition of cruel sports with animals, uh, supported missionary societies, Bible societies, Hannibal schools. He published and wrote and sent out pamphlets and tracts. He also wrote his own evangelistic book, which was probably the equivalent of John Stott's basic Christianity in the 18th century. So he did an awful, he did an awful lot. And of course, this all came about because he was a Christian. Yeah, I was going to say, he's definitely not a one-trick pony, by the sounds of it. He did a lot of different things, a lot of different good. Could you, um, also, I suppose I need to clarify, because some people might be thinking, who on earth is Pitt and why Why are we laughing anytime Pitt gets mentioned? Could you let people know why we're so, well, why you're so interested in Pitt? I've been a great fan of William the Younger ever since I was a, a young lad, so since the 1850s, I've been a great fan of William Pitt, who was Prime Minister for a long time I'm writing you're writing a book on a book a three volume book on Pitt and I'm coming to the end of volume one there you go so let's get back to Wilberforce what sort of Christian was uh, William Wilberforce well he didn't fit into the stereotype of what a Christian was thought to be of then or now people thought Christians were boring uh, depressing people that never smiled and always said no well Wilberforce wasn't like that okay Um, he was he was, uh, according to one person, besides being one of the most extraordinary men of his age, he was cheerful and pleasant, gifted with extraordinary liveliness and great powers of conversation. He seems not only to have been naturally intended for a state saint, his character inclines much more naturally to the courtier or man of the world. That was one chap okay. describing him. Another chap, Bishop Jeb, uh, wasn't really sort of sympathetic entirely with Wilberforce said that he had all the sweetness of an angel and all the agility of a monkey. (laughs) Uh, Another one, Robert Southey, the poet who was friendly with him, said he frisks about as if every vein in his body was filled with quicksilver. Okay. So he was was infused, he was a a lively, enthusiastic, friendly, uh, sociable chap. Yes, because there's that... uh... There's that line about Puritans, isn't there, about how they're suspicious that someone somewhere is having a good time. And that's probably part of what people expected. Darcy just had a wee look at the microphone there. Uh, So how did he become a Christian then? Uh, Because obviously if he is a Christian, he became a Christian at some point. So when did that start? You could be a detective. (laughs) I could. I could. Sherlock, they call me. (laughs) Sherlock. Right. Uh, Well, when he was born... In, in August uh, 24th, 1759, Pitt was born in May 28th, 1759, so he was just a little bit younger than Pitt. Um, his father was wealthy and up north, but unfortunately he died, died when Wilberforce was nine, mm. so his mother couldn't really cope because he was the only son, so she sent him down to live with his aunt uh, and uncle down in London. Uh, they were quite wealthy as well. Mm. Uh, they had two houses, one in London in St. James's Place and one in Wimbledon, which was in the countryside. And Wilberforce loved being there. Uh, William and Hannah, they were the uncle and aunt, 
both called mm. Wilberforce, were Christians, yeah. and they were Methodists and friends of George Whitfield, and therefore Calvinists. Yeah. And he began to be influenced by them very quickly. He went to church with them, he listened to them, he prayed with them, and he started writing letters to his mother, and it was obvious that he was being influenced, and his mother was terrified <laughs> that he'd become a religious fanatic. So she got on a carriage and she drove, went down all the way down to London to pick him up and bring him back to hell which was quite quite concerning yeah. really for him. When he went to university then, uh, he went to school and university then, Hull up there, religion was knocked out of him. Uh, he, he became a sort of, probably the life and soul of the party when he was in Cambridge. He became friends with Pitt and they decided they were gonna make a big scene in parliament and take over the world. Pitt became prime minister then in 1783 at the age of 24. Wilberforce then, a great speaker, was going to be his number two in the House of Commons. And then just before then, they started off on their the great exploration and righting the wrongs of the world. Um, he went on a tour, Wilberforce did, to yeah. Europe with his sister and uh, his sisters he had then, and his mother. And he, he wanted some kind of male company because he didn't want to be with women all the time. <laughs> so, so he invited um, his brother's... Um, his, his brother, his, his old headmaster's brother, who okay. was his tutor in Cambridge. I see. Uh, called Isaac Milner. So he went with him, and they, they were an odd, odd couple because Wilberforce was very small and weak, and Milner was huge. He was a huge, he okay. was wide, and he was tall. And so it's like you and I? Just like you and I. It's <laughs> <laughs> not very nice, is it? How to get Matt in here somewhere? I can't you're, see how we can get Matt in you're, at all. You're little and I'm large and wide. That's the, that's the you're connection. not that wide. Oh, okay. You're, you're not that little. You're, thank you. <laughs> oh, you're my favourite. I tell you and Matt, you're my second favourite. Right, uh, moving on. Uh, yeah. So they went off on this carriage together and they were talking about things because Wilberforce liked debating and Milner liked talking. So when they got to Christianity, Wilberforce just went into it, how everyone was hypocrites, how the Methodists were stupid and just attacked this, that and the other. And Milner stopped and disagreed with Wilberforce and said, look, I can't argue with you because I'm not a debater, but if you want to discuss this seriously, then we can have a serious conversation. Mm. So Wilberforce was a bit taken aback by this because he, he never took Milner to be a, a Methodist at all. Uh, and then at Nice, uh, his his sister had a, a book and he saw it and he thought, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what, what this guy thinks of it. So he took the book to uh, Milner and he said, what do you think of this book? It was Doddridge's The Rise and Progress of Religion in the Soul of Man. And Milner said it was one of the best books ever written and maybe they should read it together. So Wilbur said, okay, fair enough. So using the Bible to check all the quotes, they started working through it. So by the time then they reached Downing Street in February 1785, Wilberforce was an intellectual Christian. No, I've never heard that term before. What is an intellectual Christian? Well, an intellectual Christian is somebody who believes all the doctrines, okay. thinks they're all true, but doesn't actually trust Christ as their saviour. It's sort of, I probably call it the devil's Christianity. Okay. You know, it, it says in the Bible that the devils believe in one God and they yeah. tremble. Yes, but they James. obviously don't trust him. Yeah. So, so, so he, he was in a funny situation. He, he believed all these things, but it didn't affect his life or his heart. 
And so he was trying now to be a moral person and obviously failing. Okay. And what, what moved him on from being an intellectual Christian to being a true Christian? Well, he had to go back to get his mother and his sister. Okay. So in June 1785, him and Milner went off again in the carriage to collect them. And this time they read and discussed the New Testament in Greek. And Milner was asked lots of questions by Wilberforce. And Milner answered them all. And then by the time they got back then, uh, Wilberforce realised, first of all, he wasn't a Christian in any sense of the word, <laughs> and that he needed to become one. And so on October the 25th, we think, uh, he got early to pray and he wasn't sure what to do. And he, all he knew was that he was sinful and that he would ne neglected Christ for so long. When they got back uh, on the 10th of November, he was still in despair. But by the 22nd of November, he wrote in his diary, he made three resolutions. The first, he needed to order his meditations. I suppose some people call those his quiet times, reading yeah. Bible and prayer. Secondly, he needed to tell Pitt about his change. And thirdly, he needed to see John Newton. So obviously by the 22nd of November, he was converted. Mm. So John Newton famously wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. Uh, when did he start visiting him or going to see him? Well, well, he did the first resolution quite yeah. easily. Then the second one then he thought he'd write to Pitt. Okay. So, so he, he wrote to Pitt rather than talk to him because he was afraid that Pitt would get angry and laugh at him. But Pitt had a Christian background. He'd been brought up by his father. He'd, he'd had the scriptures read to him. Yeah. So he was sympathetic. Um, and so Pitt then said, well, you know, it doesn't matter you're a Christian, we can still be friends, let's, let's carry on, let's have a chat and see how things go. Uh, Wilberforce replied by saying that maybe he should withdraw from the world mm. and live a sort of more monastic religious lifestyle. And Pitt replied wisely, surely the principles as well as the practice of Christianity are simple and lead not to meditation only, but to action. Mm. Come and talk and we'll talk about it. So he went to see Pitt Pitt tried to reason him out of his convictions, but he came to the conclusion after Wilberforce answered every query he had, that if Christianity was true, then everything Wilberforce said was perfectly logical. Yes. Then he decided, Wilberforce, that he had to talk to Newton. Now, he was the only evangelical Christian he knew about I see. at the time. He'd met him when he was a little boy, okay. with, with, his grand, with his uncle and his aunt, so he knew of him. But he was still scared because this guy was a Methodist. He was an Anglican, but he was really extreme. And everyone would laugh at him if they found out that a politician was going to see him. So uh, when he wrote to uh, Newton, he arranged a meeting and he said, look, can you not tell anyone that I'm coming to see you or why I'm coming to see you? Look, I know I'm proud and I, I'm, I'm writing this because of it, but can you just not tell anyone at all? So Newton said, yes, that's fine, you can come and see me whenever you want. Well, then Wilberforce then went out late at night to find out where Newton lived. And he found the house and then he walked home. <laughs> and then he went again and he walked around the block a couple of times. This is what I did when I was scouting out your house. Was it? You yeah. walked around the yeah, block? Yeah, I walked around, made sure no one noticed me, put the hood up and all. <laughs> right. So we've swapped places. <laughs> I'm John Newton and you're the little shrimp. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, he visited him and uh, he chatted to him and Newton reiterated what Pitt said, you know, you, you, you're placed in a place, you've got friends, don't leave them, be a witness and God may use you where you are. And the wonderful thing then was that Newton then reconciled Wilberforce back to his aunt, his uncle had died and uh, and his aunt was obviously married uh, was the sister of John Thornton mm. of the Clapham sect so he got into that group then and made new friends mm. it's, it sort of sounds like Esther doesn't it like who knows God might have raised you up for mm. such a time as this mm. that seems to be the counsel John Newton gave so was John Newton the the way he got involved in the abolition of the slave trade because Newton was an ex-slave captain, wasn't he? Well, this this was a, a sort of situation, um, but again, it was Pitt. Um, Pitt is he, so, he, so essential. He's, he's so amazing. Yeah. He's a wonderful person. Um, I, well, would, I would buy a book that someone wrote on Pitt. Would you buy three? <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> I'd stretch the budget for that. Uh, there we are. Right, well, <laughs> Keep going. well Will, Wilberforce was talking to Pitt and, and Pitt said, you've got energies, you've got abilities, you're in Parliament. Pitt wanted to reform Parliament mm. and he wanted to get rid of the slave trade and he said to him, well, what about the slave trade? Think about that. You should think about that. And Wilberforce thought about it and then he wrote in his diary, God Almighty has set before me two great objects, the suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of manners in this country. Uh, and so he decided this was what he was going to do. Um, the work progressed very slowly. Um, it was supposed to be introduced by Wilberforce in Parliament in, in 1788, but Wilberforce was ill. Okay. So Pitt himself gave notice that he was going to bring in some measures about the slave trade. Mm. And so that's what happened. Pitt brought in the measure. Uh, a chap called Sir William Dolbren brought in a, a suggestion that a committee was there to deal with the regulation of uh, transportation of s natives to Africa and the West Indies. And then Pitt spoke very eloquently on this. And, and Pitt's enemy, Charles James Fox, he supported Pitt. And they both stood up against the slave trade. And then this little bill then to control the regulation of the transportation of, of slaves was passed in June uh, 1788. It was a start. Yeah, that, that wasn't the end of the the whole ordeal, was it? No, Wilberforce obviously got better and then he decided, right, we're going to go for the slave trade and get rid of it. So every year, year after year, from 1789 to 1806, Wilberforce brought up a bill to abolish slavery. And year after year, he was defeated in the House of Commons. So it was very discouraging for him. And of course, the world changed. French Revolution came. Uh, people in Britain got scared of any change at all mm. and so it, it didn't seem the right time people used it as an excuse he got dis disappointed he got discouraged with Pitt because Pitt was saying well really well but we're, we're fighting the French we're going to mm. defeat the French first and then deal with this so Wilberforce sort of stopped supporting him as much as he could have towards the end of the uh, 1800s but then in 1807 Pitt had died in 1806 Oh, Shame. I know, it's very sad. He died. Uh, I think he became a Christian on his deathbed, but that's another story. And so there was a new prime minister who, who was against slavery, as was the cabinet. And then on the 23rd of February, 1807, uh, 
the House of Commons debated it and a vote of 283 to 16 voted against the slave trade so it was abolished wow <laughs> that's a significant day isn't it and yeah. did it hard if Pitt had passed away who helped him bring about 283 that's quite a resounding victory isn't it so what help did he have uh, well obviously the the new prime minister uh, Lord Grey Pitt's cousin he he was leading the, the throw there um, you had Fox he'd supported the abolition of the slave trade for a long time he died also in September 1806 but his legacy was there so you had the whole government really against the slave trade but Wilberforce obviously didn't work alone there'd been influences and situations that had changed the public attitude towards slavery in uh, 1781 a ship called the Zong um, had got into trouble and difficulties and so the captain decided to throw overboard all the slaves oh dear. to make sure that they had enough water and food to, to get back safely 132 people were thrown overboard and there was a court case and, and the court supported the captain and said that they were throwing these people overboard and they were just like horses that's dreadful and popular opinion started shifting against the slave trade because of that then in 1791 San Domingo had a, a, an uprising and the, the slaves there all rose up then and took over the land and became independent mm. and they started running the country and people started looking at them in a different way mm. and obviously then um, Wilberforce had friends in his Clapham group yeah Thomas Clarkson full-time went around gathering evidence and information for him um, a freed slave he bought his freedom Oluada Equiano he was a, a great witness uh, to what uh, was going on there Josiah Wedgwood the pottery men they they put their uh, hand behind it and, mm. and produced the first campaign slogan ever for a, a political group wow. a, a little porcelain picture of a slave in chains and above it it says am I not a man and a brother I've seen that and so the, the, the loads then uh, there was Sir Charles Middleton who became the um, uh, was he the law first lord of the admiralty he was a christian he he was against slavery and there was a huge huge campaign and then this continued then afterwards uh, so for the next 26 years then there was a campaign then to get rid of slavery from the whole of the british empire mm. uh, in 1815 with the treaty of vienna uh, getting rid of the french wars it was inserted that those countries that were involved in the treaty should also remove the slave trade so france Portugal, um, some other countries I just can't remember, yeah. they all agreed to get rid of the slave trade. But this still seemed to have taken such a long time. Mm. So what, what I, I think I know the answer, like what would make it take this long? Well, it, it's sin really. <laughs> People have lived in a certain way and so it's hard to change. And, and then there's money involved. Yeah, and there's a you know sea, sugar, tea, coffee, cotton. All these things were bringing in big bucks, and on top of that, selling people was quite good. Uh, a slave would cost in 1790 about 40 pounds. Now, that would be to work it out in today's money. Rent in London 
1790 to rent a nice house yeah. would be about £10 a year. Not bad. So you're talking four times the rent yeah. for a slave. So today now I looked at a one bedroom flat in London would be uh, £1,700 a month. Yeah. So that's £21,000 a year. Yeah. So four times that would be £84,000, which would be the equivalent of what a slave cost. Yeah. So there's big, big money, money involved. Yeah. Big money involved. Yeah. So to circle back to uh, Wilberforce's Christian life, what was it like? You, I think you've said it starts off a wee bit shaky. What does that mean? Like how does it start off shakily? Uh, it, he was an enthusiastic Christian and he wanted everyone to be as enthusiastic as him. And so because God was so real to him because he'd been recently converted, he thought that all he needed to do was tell people and they'd be converted as well. So he went around telling everyone how wonderful this life was and, and what had happened to him. Now, he was known to be a very witty and fun guy. Um, and so he was invited to parties and things. And when he went to parties, he thought, like an opportunity here. So he'd start telling people about it and he'd, he'd use every opportunity to tell them what was happening. He was, he was a typical, what they call a Bible basher. <laughs> and people then started getting really sort of concerned about this. And so he'd be in a party and all the people would be in one corner and Wilberforce was in the other corner. Oh, bless him. And he'd plan, because he like planning things. He said, right, how can I get the conversation round to spiritual things? So he sat down one night and he devised launchers. Okay, what are launchers? Well, launchers were key sentences or phrases that he could bring into a conversation. So somebody would say something and then he could launch into how he'd become a Christian. It's sort of <laughs> thing like uh, someone would say to him, oh, hello, Wilbur, I haven't seen you for months. And he said, oh, no, you haven't seen me for months. But in that time, a great change has come over me. Let me tell you what's happened. Somebody else would say to him, you're looking very happy, Wilberforce. Oh, I am happy. Do you know why? God has changed me. Let me tell you about it. So, so he had all these launchers. And nearly every conversation he'd bring in the gospel. And it really scared people and turned them away. And so that was it, really. It, it's, it didn't it's work well. It's almost like, oh, I see that your baby's been born. Do you want to find out about, about being born again? It's that sort of like ridiculous anything he's turned it to the gospel basically That's, yes yes he, he did he did he did but but he grew he, okay. he, he realized that you know people were, were taking him a little bit not the way he wanted and he realized it wasn't helpful yeah and, and so he sort of calmed down he calmed down a bit and, and then he learned that people would ask him questions and he could answer and then he didn't push and it became clear that he was a christian and he had opportunities so he grew. Yes. And so we've, we've found out a bit about him having his launchers. Um, did being a Christian affect him in Parliament? Like voting on things mm. or about the war with France that affect him there and his relationship mm. with Pitt? Yes. Yes. It, when he went to see Pitt initially, he, he wanted to leave Parliament and, and just live a sort of monastic lifestyle. But Pitt said, no, stay in Parliament do good well Wilberforce said well this is the case we're friends and never change I'll probably vote with you most of the time but there are three times when I won't because I'll have to vote with my conscience so yeah. he became almost the first independent member of parliament yeah. and around him a few more evangelicals joined and they were sort of like the uh, 
I don't know, the conscience, the Jiminy Cricket <laughs> of Parliament. And so whenever an issue came up, uh, Wilberforce would think, now is this biblical, what was going on? And he'd vote accordingly. So sometimes he'd support Pitt. Most of the time he'd support Pitt, but there were various occasions when he didn't, which irritated his friend. For example, Pitt was trying to keep the Prince of Wales on his side, so when he wanted extra money, he asked Parliament for it. And of course, Wilberforce thought that the Prince of Wales' lifestyle was appalling, and so he stood against him. Mm. Pitt was not impressed. Uh, Britain went to war with France. Pitt realised he had to go to war with France. And within months, Wilberforce was coming in with motions for peace <laughs> with France, which was not, not what, what Pitt wanted at all. Uh, then you had the Prince of Wales' lifestyle and adultery and his wife and all sorts of things. And Wilberforce was asking embarrassing questions. Uh, basically, Wilberforce saw morality in things and he was a bit concerned that Pitt, being a, a minister, wasn't bringing the country forward in a, a moral way. Okay. He was just r running things politically. So Pitt, Pitt and him were very close. Yeah. But it wasn't as some historians say that Wilberforce was his closest friend because because of Christianity, th there was a, a gap between yeah, them. They were button heads. What about his other friends he might have had? Sorry, aside what, from what do you mean he was a button head? What does that mean? Butting heads. Oh, right, yes, they were at loggerheads. Yeah. Yes, yes, okay. Right, sorry, what was, your, what was your question? What about his other friends who he, he didn't just have Pitt as a pal, did he? No, no, he, he had other friends in Parliament um, who, who were used to him and were friends before and got you got carried on with him. Uh, Addington, the Speaker, who, who later became Prime Minister, he was friends with him, as were a number. Uh, Pitt's uh, brother-in-law, Edward Elliot, he was very close to Wilberforce, he'd become a Christian after his wife died. So he was close, but then he died then in, in 1797. Um, but of course, they were the Christians. Wilberforce uh, had lots of Christian friends, ministers and members of the congregation, the Thorntons, uh, Richard Cecil, preacher in Bedford Row, um, John Newton. Uh, he had a number of friends around him and he he wanted obviously his unbelieving friends to become Christians and so a number of times in his diary you can see him saying you know I went to see Pitt today conversation all about politics oh I wish the Lord would give me an opportunity oh. and this comes along and, and, and he managed to persuade Pitt to go with him on a Sunday to hear Richard Cecil preach oh, really? and Richard Cecil preached on heaven and when he was preaching on heaven, Wilberforce was thinking, this is wonderful, this is amazing. So as they were walking back home then, uh, Wilberforce looked at Pitt and thought, I wonder what you think. And Pitt said, Wilbur, I have no idea what that man was talking about. <laughs> and then Wilberforce thought, oh gosh, there we are. It's a question of the Lord opening eyes, isn't it? Yeah, and the plight of the preacher. <laughs> what was his family life like? Was he doing this all on his own? Uh, no, no, he he got married. He, he got married and um, he realised all his friends were getting married. So apart from a few who weren't married, he thought, maybe I should have a wife. Maybe I should be married. So he started thinking in that direction and it got a bit embarrassing. Okay. Really, it got quite embarrassing. Henry Addington, the speaker, thought, maybe you should marry my sister-in-law. Okay. So his, his sister-in-law then... Uh, 
Mary seemed quite nice. So he started chatting to her and then he started thinking, well, should I marry her, should I not? And then he went up north and then he met another woman, Anne Marriott, and he thought, ooh, maybe she's the one for me. I don't know. <laughs> so, so he didn't know what to do. There were two women that he was sort of enamored with. So he asked some friends, uh, didn't get much sense from Isaac Milner, who didn't know what he was on about, because he was going through a difficult time because after Wilberforce was converted, he wasn't a Christian himself. He was an intellectual Christian. Mm. So Wilberforce's change really shook him because he realized that it wasn't just saying words and believing them in your head. You had to commit. Yeah. So he became a Christian. So he was not helpful at all, but obviously Richard Cecil, the minister, was, mm. and he was very blunt with him. <laughs> he said, it's no matter who this woman is, the question is, is she a living Christian? Mm. And then, Wilberforce then looked at them in different eyes and see that they were both religious Anglicans, not mm. believers. So he he stopped pursuing them. And then one of them married somebody else and then somebody else married the other one then. So Wilberforce now was still uncertain, mm. but his friend, Thomas Babington, recommended a young lady called Barbara Spooner. He said, she's a lovely Christian and she'd be really good for you. <laughs> so Wilberforce thought, okay, I'll meet her. So he met her on the 15th of April yeah. and then proposed on the 23rd of April. Class. <laughs> he, he, he then went to London because Pitt called him down to London to, uh, to, to vote and to speak in the House of Commons. And, and then he started having doubts. And he okay. thought, maybe I was a bit precipitate. Maybe <laughs> I shouldn't have really asked her after a week or so. Very. But wh when he then went back to Bath where she was, he discovered that everyone in Bath had heard that he didn't proposed and they were all going to get married and so he thought I can't back out now. Yeah. So they got married and they lived happily ever after. They had six children, four boys and two girls. Uh, William, Barbara, Elizabeth, Robert, Samuel and Henry. So they, they, had a, they had a lovely family life then. So great, as we sort of round to a close, could you tell us some lessons we could learn from his life? Right, lessons from his life. Well, as he wasn't a Calvinist, there have to be eight okay. points. Class. Eight points, yeah. Uh, first of all, we have to learn for wherever we are when we're converted, that might well be the place that God wants us. Yeah. Uh, he was a politician, a friend of Pitt, and God wanted him to stay in that place to make a difference. Sort of like the gathering demoniac in Mark 5. He wanted to go with Jesus, but Jesus said, no, go, go, back. And, go yeah. back and tell people. The, the apostles were told that they were to witness in Jerusalem first, yeah. then Judea. And so that's the first thing. Where we're found is sometimes where we're supposed to be. Mm. Uh, secondly, then, we're to be wise in witnessing. Uh, Wilberforce learned that lesson. There, there was an old lady that he went to visit, her friends, and she was on a deathbed and he went there and he... he he kept away from everything Christian. He just talked about the weather and clothes and food and her son. Mm. And then her son arrived and he said, how are you, ma'am? He said, I'm doing quite well considering Wilberforce years sitting, telling me I'm going to hell. <laughs> he hadn't said anything at all, but his reputation had gone. <laughs> so being wise in witnessing. Uh, third point then would be taking your time to do things sensibly. Mm. He wanted people to be converted, so he wrote a book. Remember, he, he, he said under the tree that there were two things God had given him, suppression of slavery and the reformation of manners. By that, he meant people being converted. I see. And so he wrote this evangelistic book and used his name to, to sell it and give it to lots of people. Edmund Burke, uh, the great philosopher, uh, 
on his deathbed he spent the last few days reading through that book and he, he, he told his wife and his friends to tell Wilberforce what a great book it was and how happy he was that he'd written it so taking time and, and doing things that are useful yeah um, fourth one then he he used the Bible and wanted to learn it he had a great gift for memorizing things when he was a youngster he used to recite huge tracts of Shakespeare and stuff for the entertainment of people and now he memorized scripture he worked out that walking from his home to the House of Commons mm. took so many minutes and so he'd recite Psalm 119 and it was just enough time to get into the House of Commons so using the Bible and learning it family life he, he said that the spiritual interests of his children were his first object and so he prayed for them he, he was a bit pushy with them and he learned that and he feared that his elder sister might become sermon proof though he was concerned then that maybe he was a bit too pushy when when all his children were about nine or ten he'd write them letters saying now you know a lot about christianity it's going to be real to you so he started pushing it uh, and i think he learned that with his children as as well as with other people godly living is the best advert yeah. Uh, and recommendation because it is the Lord that changes hearts. Yeah. Uh, his, his three boys, three of them went into the ministry. Oh. Um, one of them didn't. Um, whether they were Christians or not, Wilberforce had hopes. Yeah. Had hopes. So so that was there. So your family, it, it was important to him that, that they heard the word of God. Uh, and then sixthly then, he was cheerful. He suffered an awful lot in his life. I swear to say, I knew him as quite a sick poor man he is he is he's he is quite i like the way he said poor as well said, hey, God. He, he was he was quite ill he was ill all all his life i mean there's the film amazing grace and they got Johan griffith playing him he's a six yeah. foot strapping hunky guy and yeah and there's wilberforce who's, who's five foot one with a curved spine he, he's got a steel steel rod up his back for the last 15 years of his life yeah. can't see very well uh, but he was cheerful and he was friendly and he, he was enthusiastic because he knew that he was the Lord's and that was the most important thing. So being cheerful in suffering because you know what is important. Mm. And then seventhly then, encourages us because we can see that God can use anybody. He, he spoke in, in Parliament, God had given him the gifts, he'd given him the position and yet God still used him even when he made mistakes. <laughs> uh, there's the, the, the account of he'd been a Christian and he'd been in Parliament and everyone looked up to him and then somebody made a speech and Wilberforce had enough. He thought this guy was totally out of order. So he stood up and then in about a 15 minute speech he just laid into him oh and goodness. he put in sarcastic comments and puns and jokes and he made the guy look about an inch tall. <laughs> And obviously the debate ended then and, yeah. and, and didn't go any further. Well, when he went out now into, into the to the foyer, Wilberforce was distraught. He thought, oh, I lost my temper. I, I said so many things and I shouldn't have. And he felt so bad. And then one of the members of the opposition came over to him and patted him on the back. And he said, you really are a godly man. <laughs> and Wilberforce said, how did you get that? I, did you hear what I just said? And he said, who else but a godly man would have such a strong wonderful weapon as you just displayed and yet never use it you must be so godly 
And so there's, there's an encouragement that God can use us in our good days and in our bad days. And then probably the, the last point would be to be close to God. When he became a Christian, he had three points. One was to sort out his meditations. Two was to talk to his closest friend, Pitt. And three was to have a, a spiritual counsellor. Again, it's, it's, it's good advice for us. Mm. We're to be close close to God. So we're to have our meditations, our reading scriptures and prayer sorted out. Our friends need to know where we are. And we've got to have spiritual counsellors. So mm. Wilberforce gives us lots of good advice. There we are. William Wilberforce, done and dusted. Do you have any uh, teasers for what, who well, might be next? I was thinking that because Christmas is coming up and because people like Santa, I'll do another Christmas message. We'll do a Christmas podcast in December. Interesting. We are. St. Nicholas is one of the most listened to podcasts we've done. Uh, so that's got, that'll get people excited. Until next time, until Christmas, only a month away. About six weeks, but yeah. very close.